0: This week, we are continuing in our series, Inner World, talking about the necessity of tending to what's really going on on the inside of us. In the reality that what's going on inside of us always finds its way out in one form or another, whether we like that or not. It's just the reality. And we're coming from the reference point in Matthew 23, where Jesus is, is talking with his disciples and like Jesus so often would, he, he tells a story, he, he creates a picture for people to really drive the point home, and on this particular occasion, Jesus is, is giving an analogy for what hypocrisy looks like, and I'm sure it's a, a really fun moment for all who are involved, but basically Jesus describes hypocrisy like cleaning the outside of a cup but leaving the inside dirty, and the inside is unkept, and the inside is unstewarded. And really what Jesus is communicating in this moment is, less about cups and bowls and cleaning and more about the reality of our life that it's a parallel for our life when we too are concerned about the outside that's visible to people right we too are so good about stewarding what people can see but maybe on the inside neglecting what's really on the inside where we're struggling on the inside we are neglecting what's really going on in our soul like what's really going on in your heart today? What's really going on in your mind? And really understanding that that is where the hardest at work takes place. It is on the inside of us. And so we are asking God to come into these moments and to do the work in the unseen places of our life in our inner world. And this week I, I came across Henry Malaysian's story and As a young boy, Henry was in an accident and as a result of this accident, he began dealing with severe seizures and eventually he was diagnosed with epilepsy. And so after years and years of struggling, he was desperate to find any solution that he could. And so at just 27 years old, Henry decided to undergo intensive brain surgery in an attempt and in the hope to treat his epilepsy. And so the surgeon goes in and and he believes the best course of action is in removing this small portion of his brain. And so after the surgery is done, Henry goes through a process of recovery, and when he awakens, they discover that in removing this part of his brain, not only is Henry no better off than he was before, but that devastatingly enough, he has um, he's unable to recall any form of his episodic memory, his personal experiences, his childhood stories, his sense of identity, he cannot navigate his home. He cannot recognize the doctors and I cannot imagine in this moment wondering what are the events that have brought me to this moment to lose your entire sense of self your entire sense of self and your entire story but not only did they find that in removing this part of the brain that Henry was suffering with extreme memory loss but that He was also incapable of describing and imagining his future. And so doctors decided to put people into a scanner. They wanted to see, is there a correlation here? What's going on? And so they put people on the scanner and they asked them to go into memory mode. And then they were asked to go into imagination mode. And when they went into their memory mode, a certain network in the brain would light up. And sure enough, when they asked them to go into their imagination mode of thinking of things that had not yet happened and trying to imagine their future, the same exact network in their brain lit up. And as a result of these findings, they concluded that Henry had not just lost his ability to remember. He had not just lost his past, but that he had also lost his ability to imagine the future. In fact, it's so sad. You can hear the doctor ask him, he says, Henry, what does it look like when you hope for the future? And he says, I don't think about the future much. In fact, in this one moment in an interview, he describes being asked to think about the future, like being asked to go into a room and find the chair, but the room is completely empty, that it is not a thought that his brain is capable of tapping into. And so they concluded that the past and the future seem to be interconnected in our minds. That people who have lost their memory, who have lost their story, have a hard time describing and imagining their future. That actually not being able to remember hinders the imagination. And I just thought, what a parallel for our life, that it is our ability to remember that directly affects our ability to imagine, that no wonder God is continually beckoning us to remember who he is and and what he has done, because our very hope depends on it. And most of our, our clearest remembering, our clearest memories are stored in the form of story. Yet often the story that we tell ourselves isn't as clear as we remember it to be. A study was done on individuals who were in New York on the day of 9-11, and when they were asked to recount their memories of that day, they were sure of every moment. They were sure of where they were. They were sure of the time that this happened, and they were able to um, relay these concrete, absolute moments— But the study went on and they were actually able to trace back the day of these same individuals and discovered that their memories, their point-to-point moments of this day were not as clear and concrete as they remembered them to be. That our minds actually fill in the holes to create a story that we believe is exact. And the truth is that Even our most significant moments, our our moments of remembering, the ones that are so pertinent to the foundation of our life, aren't perfect playbacks. See, at times, we, we think we're remembering as clear as the moment something occurred, as clear as the moment something happened, but in reality, we are at times telling the story wrong, and sometimes we are telling the wrong story entirely, And I wonder how many of us don't actually believe that the idea of remembering our past and our story creates a narrative of God's faithfulness and our current reason to hope because we're telling the story wrong. If our very hope depends on our ability to remember in the light of God's faithfulness, then we must ask, what is the story that I am telling myself Because the story that we tell, it does matter. And we have to ask, has the way that I remember my story become a barrier to hope rather than a source of hope in my life? In John 8, we we learn of a certain woman's story. It says, starting in verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, to Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I now go and sin no more. The moments that we are extended grace are overwhelming in all the best kinds of ways, and I think we love the overwhelming grace that is felt in this moment, and yet at times the story that we tell ourselves it's not of the overwhelming grace that we have received but the shame that we still walk in the the shame that has at times actually still become part of our identity and for some of us the story that we tell ourselves is a story of shame that even after jesus has said hey neither do i condemn you go and sin no more that we can still be living in this narrative of our past failures of our moments of regret, of the moments that have caused our deepest shame, that even as Jesus has freed us from the power of condemnation, that we are at times our own worst accuser. And sometimes shame is played out not in the sin that we have experienced in the past, but in the longing for what we once were where we once were walking with Jesus, where we once felt the nearness of Jesus, where Jesus once satisfied our every desire and the joy of what we experienced in knowing him. It's the shame of what we feel we no longer are or what we were at one time. And I think When these moments of remembering come, when the Holy Spirit is actually reminding us of what is available and knowing Jesus, we see the memory in light of what we no longer are rather than seeing it in the light of what God has always been to us that it has never been my own goodness, but it was God drawing my heart to him. It was never my own desire that I was able to come up with to go after Jesus. It was God, his kindness, drawing my heart to him. And that. It's the very nature of God's kindness that we can stand here in this moment and still even now when he's bringing your soul and he's telling you, hey, remember what is available in me, what's available in knowing me. And I love this moment in the passage where it says, until only Jesus was left, That is the best part of our story when we look back, not on what we no longer are, but that Jesus was always consistent, that Jesus was always there. When we look back and we see Jesus is the object of my affection, Jesus is the whole point of the story, not the things that we've failed to be or, or to become, not the aim of becoming those things to please people, but Jesus alone, the nearness of knowing him. And just days before Jesus went to be crucified, he he introduced the disciples to communion and, and he tells them, hey, do this in remembrance of me. And I just wonder if we can train ourselves out of remembering in the light of who we are, rather, if we can get ourselves out of remembering in the light of who we are, and rather who God has always been. Because I just believe when we're remembering in, who, in the light of who we are, we are caused um, regret. We're caused shame, but when we remember who Jesus is in the light of who we are, there is cause for great gratitude in our soul. And for some of you, maybe it's not a story of, of shame that you tell yourself in remembering, but maybe it's a story of striving. That we often live from this place of of striving, all of our efforts grasping for this illusion and this idea, this belief that we have control, and sometimes it's out of this place of fear. Sometimes if we're honest, it's because we're not sure we can trust God to do what we believe needs to be done and the way we think he needs to do it and the timing that we think best and, and not choosing surrender, and not choosing to trust him, we fail to actually look back on the past and recall all the moments that we say only God could have done this. You know, the moment in your life where there was no ounce of your own effort to change the result, the moments that cause us to see actually how little control that we actually have, the times that make us stand in awe and in reverence of God to say, literally, God, only you could have done this. And it's in those times of, of remembering that these kinds of moment that we're given the will to surrender today that we're given the obedience and the trust that we need for today. Sometimes our our current effort to control keeps us in a place where we cannot even recognize that we are standing in the reality of answered prayers in our life, that we have began to take too much credit for the things that we're currently standing in and saying, I would not be here in this moment. I would not be alive. I would not be married to this person. I would not be in this moment if not for the intervention of Jesus in my life. And we become so convinced that it was our own efforts that got us to this moment that resulted in our current circumstances and we give ourselves way more credit than we deserve instead of standing back and saying, there is so little that I did to be in the grace that I'm currently standing in. And it's a humbling reality when we realize how much we actually didn't do. Ephesians 2 brings us into this posture of humility that's so very necessary if we're going to combat the striving that we tend to live in. It says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It doesn't get any worse than dead. He said, in which you used to live following the ways of, those, of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now working in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgression, it is by grace that you have been saved. Verse 11, therefore remember, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope And without God in the world, but now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And what a humbling and incredible reality that we get to stand in this morning, that by no efforts of our own, by no striving, that he said, I choose you. I love you. I see you and remembering there is maybe the story of shame you tell yourself. Maybe it is a story of striving, or maybe for you it's it's a story of disappointment that you tell yourself. And when I think of a story that is muddled in disappointment, I actually think of Lazarus, which may come as a surprise, but If you only remember the end of the story, you may forget the moments of great disappointment. If you know Lazarus' story, he was a dear friend of Jesus, and he became very sick, and so his sisters Mary and Martha, they sent for Jesus, knowing that if anyone could heal their brother, that Jesus could. It says in John 11, but when Jesus heard about this, he said to himself, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now catch this in verse 6. So although Jesus loved them, he stayed where he was. Although Jesus loved them, he, he waited he didn't go in their timing. Although it pained his heart, he, he didn't go in the timing they thought best. Although he knew that this delay would cause them great disappointment in the hearts of people he, he dearly loved, although it might devastate them for a time, Jesus stayed see God's timing is rarely our own and it's this paradox of this moment where we see that although Jesus was late in terms of their timing and their expectation and their wishes he was perfectly on time working in all the ways that they could not yet see and so Jesus waits until he knows that Lazarus has passed And in this moment, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus is not dead. He is simply sleeping, and they're really confused. And so he tells them plainly, listen, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And, of course, you and I, we we know that Jesus, he calls Lazarus out of the grave. And it is this incredible moment. But the thing that always catches my attention is that in John's telling of Palm Sunday, on the, the day that Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, on the day that Jesus would become known before he went to be crucified, in the magnitude of this moment that he points to Lazarus multiple times, saying when the people heard of Jesus coming, that they came to see the man named Lazarus, that many had come to believe because of Lazarus, but the reality is that it cost Mary and Martha their greatest moment of disappointment. The thing God used to bring about his glory in this moment cost them dearly. And you and I, we know how the story ends, but they didn't. And can you just imagine the devastation of this moment, knowing that the only person who could have changed the circumstance was Jesus. And he wasn't there and doubting not just this moment, but really the reality of who they thought and believed Jesus to be having not just to deal with the death of their brother, but maybe the death of their expectation and what they thought Jesus would do. And I can remember just times in my own life walking through disappointment and wondering like, God, why aren't you coming through in this moment where I know that you could change this? Wondering why he wasn't producing the result that I saw fit and the timing that I saw fit and the way that I saw fit and wondering and wondering in this moment, having to learn that our disappointment does not change the reality of his goodness. That he is faithful and that we can look back in hindsight and moments and say, oh, I saw you there even if the outcome wasn't what I thought it would be. And the way that he uses our disappointment to actually turn us to Jesus. To then tell other people, hey, he is the source that doesn't run dry even when our disappointment hits us. And I can tell you that even if outcomes are are not what you thought or what you expected, that you will be able to see his goodness on the other side, regardless of outcomes, because that's just who he is. But it is hard to trust God when we have put him into the box of our desired um, outcomes rather than trusting his character we have forgotten that it is his character that makes him trustworthy. It's not the outcomes that make him trustworthy. And that in every season, he is worthy of our trust, even when we are facing disappointment. And the reality is that just coming to him is enough. I think sometimes we feel like I don't have the faith to bring to him in this moment. I don't have the hope to bring to him in this moment. I think all that Jesus is saying is, hey, just keep coming to me just keep coming to me because our greatest disappointments and devastations actually hold the greatest essence of his glory and lastly maybe it's not a story of shame for you maybe it's not a story of striving maybe it's not a story of disappointment but maybe for you it is a remembering that that tells you a story of absence that if you were really honest, you would say, Ashton, my remembering is not cause for hope because I do not see God in the story. I don't have a history to remember God by. And you know when someone is telling you a story, and they're like, hey, remember when this happened, and you cannot for the life of you think of this moment, and you're just like, I'm, I'm not sure, and for five minutes you think you're crazy, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, it wasn't you. It was this other person. And really, this is the kind of thing that points to the reality that you simply cannot remember something you haven't experienced. You cannot remember something you haven't experienced. And if you're in this place today and you say, Ashton, I do not remember a version of my story that is cause for hope, then there is a possibility that you have not experienced yet all that is found in Jesus. That if your present reality is separated from Christ and you say yes to Jesus, it is actually your current condition that becomes the memory you look back to. It is where you presently are when you say yes to Jesus that will become the story that you can look back on the faithfulness of who God is. This morning I I feel like if we're honest with ourselves, we would agree that it is not our natural tendency to remember. That, in fact, I think we as humans are, are very good about forgetting. And that's why I think we have to actually train our hearts to remember. Because it's difficult to do, uh, it's difficult when we are telling ourselves a different story rather than the one that Jesus intends for us are you remembering in the light of shame are you living in a state of striving and and rather than living in a place of surrender are you stuck in disappointment holding on to outcomes otherwise god's not trustworthy or am i believing a story of god's absence where i don't see him in the story And how many times have I doubted the faithfulness of God for today, because when I look back and remember, I'm telling the wrong story. I'm seeing the story wrong. A few weeks ago, leading up to my birthday, I was just internally struggling with a lot of different things. And I don't know about you, but I feel like it all just hits me at one time. And I just was really going through it in my mind. And I remember the night actually before my birthday, Prue and Ramiro, they took me to do some stuff and celebrate and on the way home I was like guys let's turn on this really great worship song I was super high we were going all out and then the Holy Spirit just like hit we turned on a certain song and I was like wait I really feel like I really feel like we need to have a moment and sure enough we did we're riding in the car home from Tampa and it's like you could just feel the presence of God filling the car filling this moment And it was like God was reminding me the day before my birthday that, Ashton, I have always been faithful to you. I have always been true to satisfy. I have always been present. Even in your greatest disappointments, I was there. And it was such a humbling moment, and you know when we have that that moment where the Holy Spirit is remembering and and reminding us of who we are, we feel so silly for the moments where we doubt it. We feel like, why did I doubt who you were, God? And He's so gracious with us to say, "Hey, I am who I say I am. I am faithful and true. I have satisfied, and I will satisfy again." And I think that is the beauty of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. That literally, something the Holy Spirit does is in reminding us of who God is. That in our nature, we are not good at remembering, but it is the Holy Spirit working in us to remind us hey, there is more. Hey, in knowing Jesus, there is a satisfaction that nothing else in the world could satisfy. He's reminding our soul. And it's hard to remember what we don't recognize. And so in just a moment, I do want us to go into just a time of worship where we take a moment and say, God, remind me of your faithfulness. God, remind me when I can't see it. God, remind me when I'm so stuck in the tunnel vision of this current moment. God, would you remind me of who you've been to me all my life? And can I tell you that when we are reminded, the response becomes gratitude, that when we set up these altars of God's faithfulness in our life, the response is gratitude. And so this morning, If you would just stand with me.